Great to have you here. It's like the, it's been quiet here for a couple of weeks, and then suddenly this morning everything sort of came alive, so that's kind of interesting. Um, let's pray, and then let's uh, chatter just a little bit, okay? All right, we're 20 Sundays after Pentecost, which, and you remember, goes um, Trinity, uh, so it goes um, Pentecost and Trinity. So 19 after Trinity, 20 after Pentecost. Know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Matthew 9, 6. And this was classically the Sunday of healing of body and soul. You remember there was a one-year lectionary. Uh, probably if you're older than 55, you probably grew up with a one-year lectionary. Uh, uh, you know, we're in a three-year lectionary now, but this was always in the one-year lectionary, the healing of body and soul. See, they're trying to show you what Jesus is doing as he moves toward the last day. So know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Matthew 9, verse 6. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, for your mercy's sake, keep far from us all that opposes thee, that unhindered in body and soul we may serve thee with heart set free. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Now it's a fascinating prayer because it prays, uh, it doesn't say, you know, keep, keep things far away from me that oppose me, but keep things far away that oppose you. And so then, uh, you know that if the things that are uh, in opposition to Jesus are kept far away, that you're going to be okay. So first things first, that's a fascinating sort of prayer. Uh, it was a strikingly interesting day yesterday. There were 50 or 60 people here. I don't know exactly uh, for in and out for parts of the day. Kind of, you know, all the staff were invited and then elders and governing board. So it was a big, kind of a big crowd thinking ahead now. Uh, you remember how it is when you got married that you, uh, I think, you, know, you sort of wondered about whether you'd be married and then someday you come to the altar and then I do. And then you don't think to yourself, or, or you're a dead man, actually, if you think to yourself after that day, do I love my wife? No, you wake up and say, I love my wife, what's next? Well, it's a bit like that with the Bible church. You know, for years we thought about what shall we do? And now we have to change our thinking to say, that's what we're doing, how should we go forward? So, you know, a lot of the day was spent with that. And things are, this is an extraordinarily busy week in the church. A lot of big things are happening. The banks are coming around, and so there's a lot of, uh, uh, it's been very interesting, as John Crow said, the banks have stood in line to have our business. Things are in good shape. Uh, and, we, you know, the guys have worked really hard. It's been remarkable to watch and a joy to watch from a distance. But, you know, it's about to the point to sign on the dotted line with the banks. Um, we met for the first time with the capital campaign guys toward next year's capital campaign. Um, and then this meeting yesterday. By the by, um, you know, there's, we're about, you know, I think we have 80 days left and we're probably 83% of the, percent of the way along the capital campaign. The interesting thing, the good thing about that is that um, most of the gifts that are to come are fairly large gifts. Uh, and from people who have given regularly. So uh, we know that we've only got 80 days left and we've got about $400,000 yet to come in. But part of the confidence in that is that the, that $400,000 is coming from people who are given fairly large amounts and have given already in the past over the last two years. So we're actually feeling pretty good about getting to 95% uh, of the goal is what they suggest we should do. So 95% of 2.7 million. And that 95% accounts for people who move in and out of the congregation in, in the three years you run it, 
people whose financial circumstances change. Um, so that looks pretty good, but let me just encourage you. I, I know I've got sort of a select group. If you're willing to stay after for Bible study, you know, you've, you get it. So let me just encourage you, if you still have a capital campaign check outstanding, uh, you know, now's the time as you get towards the year end and all the things that kind of move into that. And let me also say for this group too, uh, you know, let me say again, you know, the whole Thrivent thing about write a check and Thrivent will match at 50%, that is just such a no-brainer. That's just such a no-brainer about, it's just, just good stewardship to do that. If somebody will give you, you know, increase your pledge by 50% or your gift to the school, do that. If there's any curiosity or any question about how to do that, it's basically you write a check to the school and you fill out the form and you give it to the school office and life is good. Uh, and you can do it for $600 each as long as you're over the age of 16. So anybody in your household 16 and over. Uh, so we're really loving big families right now. <laughs> or we're encouraging the adoption of children over the age of 16. <laughs> so one of the programs, we thought of many programs yesterday to increase revenue here. One was that we would adopt a lot of children over the age of 16. And, have you give through Thrivent for them? Yes, please. This is the last year of Thrivent, and I do the math for the Well said. Members. You know, up to now, you, you didn't have to own a Thrivent product, uh, and for another 10 bucks, they just let you play along. This is the last year that's going to happen. It's been an extra generosity. Next year, it'll revert back, I think, to. It's still going to go, isn't it? I think it's still going to happen next year, but just for members, right? Just for members only next year, I think. Yep. Members will concur, uh, go for next year. So, you know, these, these things where, and real honestly, you all need to take the lead. This group that comes out is a bit of a rarefied group. I mean, you get it. You come to church, you come to Bible study, you put your kids in Bible study, you send your kids to Sunday school, you send your kids to the school, you get it. The thing is, we need more than you just getting it now. What we need is for you to get it and help your friends to get it, okay? So I just, I just want to put those kind of things out in front of you. You know, pay attention, please, please get it done. Um, one of the, yesterday we gathered a lot of data, and I think, you know, John and I may chatter, and he may give his spiel. It was a very encouraging spiel. I mean, it was, it was brilliant to kind of look at what's happened over the past um, 10 years or so. Uh, it's just, it was so encouraging, and it was nice for John, who's got fresh eyes, to come in and do it. And, and I hadn't seen what he was going to do beforehand. I, I purposely didn't go through the slides, because uh, I just wanted to see it kind of fresh, and it was very encouraging. We'll probably try to find a time maybe in this hour that he can give that to you as well. But one of the in interesting things that came from all three groups, there were a number of things that we divided into three groups of, you know, 15 or 20. One of the interesting things that came at least back to me in those groups was nobody likes Sunday morning, the Sunday morning schedule, okay? Because it just is, it's just too rigorous. It's just too rushed. It's just too much. It just feels like, you know, we're herding cattle in and out. You remember that we did that long ago far away when, when things kind of grew so fast and then we sort of said, well, what can we do to make things work a bit better? And we added a Bible study on Sunday because we thought it was important for the pastors to teach. And then we also added an extra service and we found out that people did come to Bible study and we found out that people did come to church. What we happened is, is you know, they came to church and then it sort of, we just plateaued at a higher level. You know, we didn't plateau at 700, we plateaued at 850 or 900, but we still plateaued. Here's my question, um, especially, and I've been sort of brought to this by this Bible study and talking to people about what community looks like, and we talk a lot about community, but we don't provide on Sunday morning the possibility for it, which is a bit of a contradiction. Um, I think we've shown 
you know, in the past 10 years you've shown as a congregation. You're very willing to come to church. Um, you're very willing to support the school. You're very willing to give generously. Uh, you know, John's slides yesterday, one of them was the giving in the last nine, 10 years has gone from about roughly-ish $15,000 a week to about uh, $55,000 a week. Is that right, John? Am I in the ballpark? Right there. But then plus the capital campaign is another 20000 a week. Is that right, too? So in reality, the giving here, you know, when people moan about the finances, yeah, we spend every dime we get because we're not a bank, you know, we're a church. But the giving here has gone from about $15,000, $20,000 a week to, you know, about, um, would that be like seventy, seventy-five thousand $75,000 a week? $65,000 a week, is that right? Was it 45 was the last number? So 45 and 20-ish would be 65-ish. So sort of go 20, even at the most conservative range, it's gone from about 20 to about 60. That's a remarkable thing. So what the congregation has shown is the congregation can do a whole bunch of things. Now what we need to do is provide the opportunity for that. Now here's where I'm going with that. I'm trying to figure out in terms of changes. You know, changes are difficult and I get that and you know, we're all different about those things. Um, if there really is a significant dis displeasure even now, irritation, you know, I mean, you come to church, but it would be better. You know, maybe, maybe three services on Sunday morning's not right. You know, maybe what we need to do is go Saturday and then twice on Sunday and maybe round the clock, round the, round the, round the year round on Wednesday. And then kind of thinking that way, I've been trying to, trying to figure out, you know, logistics and how things might work. So here's my question. I'm saying all that to set you up with, so I could ask you something that would be completely unscientific, but it'll help me think at least. Um, I want to try to ask this in the right way. Uh, basically, what I'm wondering about is if we have two services on Sunday, 8.30 and 11. One of the complaints about the 11.15 services that you get out afternoon and psychologically, that's a bad thing, okay? So here's my question. Um, raise your hand if you come regularly to the 9 o'clock service. Okay, that's very interesting, okay? And that, hold, wait, hold your hand up for just a second. Now, um, keep your hand up if you would uh, be willing to push back to the 11 o'clock. Be honest, I'm trying to figure it out. Wow, okay, that's not good. Uh, okay, well, okay. See, my problem is if we go to 8.30, what I, what I think will happen is, you know, we'll have 500 people that'll wanna go to church at 8.30. That, that I just can't accommodate. One of the great things about moving next door I mean, if it's not the most significant thing, it's one of the most significant things, is that everybody will be able to worship at the same time if they want. We won't go to just one service, but you know, we can have one service where if the whole congregation wants to be in community at one time, we can. Now the thing is, is my, the question for me, what I'm trying to figure out, and I'll be very willing to chat, or you don't have to send me long emails about this, but I'm just, what I'm trying to do is figure out whether we should make that change now and make it in a way that would be consistent. So one of the things as we moved, let's say if we move two years from now, that we have the same service times. If we went at 8.30 and 11, you know, would that be, would we be able to keep those service times? I'm trying to figure out when to make the change, how to keep the change consistent, what to do. I know, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, we're irritating you now a little bit with the Sunday schedule. If I change it, I'll irritate you then. Uh, you know, if you're going to be irritated anyway, should I just, you know, sort of change it and irritate you, or should I let you go on with the irritation you've got? You've got one sort of ration, you may have another sort. So, you know, what do you want? How should we do this? 
And really, it's not, for me, I don't, you know, I don't mind. I'm used to doing this. We've been doing this for nine years. But I think that it's not, um, I'm trying to figure out if it's best. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to figure out what's best. And at some point, whatever decision we make will be a difficult decision, and it'll chafe. I, I know that it will, but I'm, I'm trying to get it right. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know also if you who go, just raise your hand if you go to 9 o'clock again. Raise your hand. How many of you would come at 8.30? See, now that's interesting. Okay, so you'd all come at 8.30. So here's what I was kind of thinking. We'd go 8.30, and we'd work hard to be done by about 9.35. Then you'd have 25 minutes to have a cup of coffee and say hi. We'd have Bible study from 10 to 10.15. And then we'd go again at 11. Or 10 to 10.45. <laughs> Sorry. 10 to 10.45. And then we'd go again at 11 and be done just shortly after noon. That's kind of... I've been thinking about this for weeks, months, trying to figure this out. There's not a good solution in this space. But I'm trying to figure out what it, what it might be. And then if we added a, a Wednesday and if we drew people, some people off to that or newer folks. I don't know. It's not good in any direction. Uh, let me go Carol and then I'll come back to you, Al. Go ahead, Carol. She's closer and she could, she could get me, Al. Go ahead. Karen. Sorry. No, I'm too scared of them, so I haven't asked them. I, I just haven't asked them. Uh, could I, let me, Al Lovitch, who's going to bring some. I could try eight. All right, raise your hand if you go to nine o'clock. Just let me ask you a question. Would you come, keep your hand up if you'd come at eight? You know. Sorry? Well, yeah, I mean, you have, I, I know about you because you have four kids, so I already know the answer. <laughs> But they get up for school too. But eight is, uh, my only thing is about whether eight, Al, for kids is too early. Nine o'clock seems to be the preferred time all across America. If everybody in America were at nine, that would be right. So I'm trying to get this, I'm afraid that eight is too much of a struggle. That's earlier than you take your kids to school. You know, so that, that means Sunday is an extra push rather than an extra help, right? I'm trying to figure this out. It, we could go to 8.15. We can, go, we can start at 8.17 and 32 seconds if you want. I mean, I don't care when we start. I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, honestly, I don't care. I'm going to be here no matter when, and I'm going to be here at all of them. But I'm trying to figure out what you all, you know, and since you come and you show up and you're willing to talk, go ahead. Gigi, do you have one more thing? I was going to say the same thing. The Kirby said? No, the, the 8 and 10.30. 8 and 10.30, Okay. Well, we'll think about it. I don't know that surveys help. I don't know that there's no way to please. I mean, there's just no way to do it in this space. There's no way to do both things we want, which is all worship together at the same time and still have a morning of it. There's just no way to do it. So we're just trying to do our best. Yes, please. Yes. No, I was just thinking, well, my, my thing was is there's no sense in me what I would like to do is think ahead, because if you get used now to, used to coming to church at 8.30, I don't, want to, I don't want to change you again two years from now. This is, these changes are big changes. You get in a habit. I don't want to make it hard for you to come to church. I'm just trying. So if I can get the right timing, you know, we can just have what we, we got going. It is the, the whole point is to build fellowship. The whole point is to give you what people always say that they want here, which is time to talk, and you're proof of it. You know, 17 minutes after the hour I went in the sacristy, you're still talking as strongly and as loudly when I come out at, at, at 31. You got 17 minutes or 15 minutes there where you just kept going, which is what we want. 
You know, we need more of that. Yes, please. Would Sunday school be at the same time as Bible class? Yes, it would. And while we're drinking coffee for 25 minutes, what are all the kids doing? We're going to give them finger paints and let them go wild on the walls. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we might have to parent, which I know for many of us is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, what will we do with the kids? I mean, I... You know, I, I don't know what we'll do. We'll dump Cheerios. What I, what I, the only best idea I've had is to put snow fence around all the pews and dump Cheerios over the top and just let them have a free-for-all. That's been my best idea so far. I don't know what the answer is. They can't get away and they're eating, so what do you care? Right? I mean, I don't know. We're just trying to figure it out. Yes, Karen. I never took you as a pest. Right. Um, if we made this move, what would that do to the radio broadcast? We can adjust. Uh, worst case would be we'd tape Saturday night and um, give them the tape and they would play it, you know, 12 hours later. So there's possibilities for that. Please be clever. I mean, it's not, you know, this is, this, this, there's not a good situation besides moving and that's already teed up. So, you know, whatever the idea is, here we go, okay? Everybody okay? All right, just, we just want to, we're trying, believe me, we're trying to get it right. The point is to give you, here's what we're aiming at, the point is to give you some time to be community. The point is to give you some time to be a congregation. Many of you don't see each other except on Sunday morning. Your lives are busy, you travel, your kids go to different schools, you know, you're very busy. So on Sunday morning, if we could just come and you would have some, um, some easiness. And I will address, I guess, the early service question. You know, of course, that would mean, and this would be a difficulty, that those people who very faithfully come at 745, we'd be asking them to go a bit later. Um, and that, you know, that's not an, you know, a lot of those people who come, I mean, they're here when I, if I'm here at 7, a lot of those people are already, you know, sort of milling around. But see, they figured it out. The reason they come is to chatter with their friends. So, I mean, that's precisely what I'm trying to provide for the rest of the congregation. Some of you, that's just not possible. Okay? All right. I gave you a little bit of a review here. Um, when I went back and read my notes about what we'd done, <clears throat> I was surprised at how much ground we'd covered. And I wasn't sure uh, if it was all sort of sinking in. So I just... Uh, you know, I, I have my stuff all ready for next week, and if you want to study ahead, I think I'll give it to you. But I just wanted you to, just to, every once in a while it's good to review, you know. Every once in a while it's just to settle in and remember who you are, okay. So I, I had this as point one, and I was just going to go verbally, and then yesterday I had a little time. I thought, you know what, I'll just write this down for you. I would love for you first, and you remember I asked you to do this to begin the class, to suspend your idea of what church should be. Forget that you know anything, okay? I had a remarkable experience, I had two remarkable experiences this week. Um, it's fascinating. I was driving home actually last week, and for some reason, just about the point where I go past the seminary, cemetery, which I say hi to Ife, hey Ife, and then, uh, yeah, I do, and then keep, kind of keep going, makes me kind of think about things. And, uh, I was thinking to myself, if Jesus came back and walked in the door, uh, would he recognize us as what he set out to do? 
This is just, I was just kind of thinking about this. I mean, we're so busy with so many things. I've been reflective about what my own work looks like, that it largely, uh, or too much of it, um, is given to things that I shouldn't be doing as a pastor, and how thankful I am for the new people who have come and uh, done such a good job with Gail and um, Carla and John. And so I was, I was sort of reflecting about myself, about whether or not if Jesus walked in the door, uh, frankly, if he'd be pleased with us, or whether, whether we would look like what we were supposed to be doing. And then Arthur came for the weekend last weekend, and uh, you know, over a cup of coffee before he left, I sort of put the question to him. And he said, um, I've been thinking about the same thing, and I think at best, the Lord would just tolerate us. Well, that wasn't particularly encouraging, but we talked about what that meant for about an hour. And it was fascinating. Um, the capital campaign guy, Greg Gibbs, comes back this week. And uh, we didn't have much time, but he's just taken a job as a pastor. Uh, and it's actually a compliment to you as a congregation. We are the only congregation. He's going to stay with Cargill as a consultant, do one congregation at a time, maybe two a year. We're the only congregation he's doing, and he was one of the best guys they had. And part of the reason he did it is because we had so much fun, and it was really a theological exercise, and you were so engaged. Okay? There are bigger congregations, there are richer congregations. You're the congregation that he chose to do. But he's going back to a very fast-growing congregation outside um, Detroit, which has five pastors and six campuses and tends to have 12 campuses, and it's a church of about 10,000 members. And he said, um, and I don't think I'm revealing anything here. He's a good guy, and I don't think he'd care if he said this to you. He sort of sat down. He said, you know what? I just need some time to talk offline about being a pastor. I just want to talk to you about being a pastor. And he said, um, he said, I just wonder to myself as I'm going back into the church uh, if what we're doing looks like Jesus, what Jesus wants us to do. Okay, so three times in the last week, you know, my, my, in my own reflection with two guys I respect very highly, they all ask the same question. Does our community look like what Jesus wants our community to look like? And believe it or not, that's behind the question about what time service time should be. I don't really think that Jesus wants the community to look like a bank drive through That's not what it's supposed to look like, where we deal with you sort of individually on whatever your pressing need is, and we sort of send you on. You know, we proved that we could do it. We proved we could grow. We proved you could give. But at the end of the day, that's not the point. So, so I, you know, you remember we began by me saying, would you, could, could you just suspend your idea of what I look, should look like, what the congregation should look like, what the school should look like, what our life together should look like. Just suspend your idea of whatever you learned and come to it fresh from the scriptures. Okay, that was the assignment six weeks ago or whenever we started. And I sort of tried to press you against the idea that it could be at the bare, bare minimum. And I reminded you that always uh, what is best is, is the key. And it was interesting in the epistle reading for today, and I'm going to have the vicar, who's a smart Greek guy, look this up as soon as we get back, because that's why you have vicars. So you can go home and drink coffee, and they can look up Greek things. <laughs> You'll notice in the epistle for today, it says about the incarnation, which is the, the seminal fact of, of cosmic history. It was fitting that, which I bet, you know, I bet will come out in the Greek translation as, it was the best possible thing that Jesus Christ incarnated. The vicar laughs because, 
This, this carries on. I just, I just, I, 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 I'll buy lunch if I'm wrong, okay? Uh, I just, and that would make the rest of the passage flow so smoothly about what the Lord does. See, I just bet, I just bet that that's what's going on there. So I want you to frame the question with not what you can get by with. And again, you're the audience, you're the select audience who you get that, otherwise you wouldn't be in Bible study. I mean, there's a reason you give up your extra hour on Sunday morning, because you understand the churches don't grow, and you don't grow spiritually unless you read the text. It's not best for you to be without the text. It's not best for you to be without the supper, okay? Paul very clearly says what's best, and you remember from years past, best is marked by what is, what is, what is done out of selfless love, out of a deep insight, and out of a thorough obedience, okay? So think about our life together. Don't think about it as church. Don't think about it as what you always learned. Don't think about it as what you grew up with. Think about you've got a clean slate and you can have anything you want. But what you need to want is what God wants. So what does God want? If God comes back, if Jesus walks in the door, is he just tolerating us? Or, and are we, so, are we so out of line? Or are we just, or are, are we, we got to think about this. You know, what does it mean to take up your cross and follow? What does faith together look like? If Christ dropped in this morning, would he recognize us as his own? I'm just two paragraphs in. And it is horribly difficult to be community. It's horribly difficult to be a faithful congregation. That's the sermon for this morning. It's horribly difficult. It's horribly difficult to have a congregation where a lot of people are divorced and people want to chatter about that and people who have been hurt that tragically want to be forgiven and want to be loved. And those two things, of course, can't coexist. You can't love people at the same time you're gossiping about them. So wouldn't it be interesting if you were the sort of congregation that could sort of let people who are put in place to deal with those sorts of things deal with it and then just uh, from the outside give your affirmation confident that the people who were dealing with things knew what they were doing and people who are struggling are really struggling to get it right. See? It's horribly difficult to be that sort of a community. It was in the time of Jesus, and it wasn't, and so Jesus has this great take up the cross thing, and they don't know what he's talking about. It was hor horribly difficult to do that in the early church. That's why Paul is constantly saying, sift, test, figure out, test the spirit, sift yourselves. Because it is so easy to import what the world looks like and say that's what the church should look like. Size for the sake of size, or convenience for the sake of convenience. Or name anything else. Uh, one of you sent me a brilliant essay yesterday from a Catholic writer about um, why Catholics sing songs that don't match their doctrine and the rebellion against that. And the same question holds for us. What do we do that doesn't match what Jesus says? Because that should fall away from us. And we should be, we've, we've got plenty to do with the things that Jesus has given us to do, care of the soul, acts of mercy, and words of witness. There's plenty to do with that. We don't need to be chasing things that the world gives us to do. So choose, get it right, do what's best. To get the gospel right, and this is where I started, and this is a horribly difficult thing for Americans. You know, the rugged individual Americans, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you can make something yourself if you only try. Donald Trump said Tanya yesterday, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I heard Donald going on about how he'll make all of us rich, and then, but I thought, uh, yeah, sure, Donald's gonna meet with you, and he's gonna tell you all he knows, and by noon tomorrow, you'll be rich. I'm thinking, nobody will fall for this. And then, 
The traffic report as I'm driving in yesterday morning, they say, and traffic is snarled around the place wherever the Donald was given his thing. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, yeah, because it's all about me, of course, right? And getting rich and, you know, whatever happens with you, okay. So um, to get it right, we start with we, not with I. Community, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Your temple, and a temple has more than one stone. You're not just it. It's all about God. The minute you're converted, the minute you're given the gift, it stops being about you and starts to be about somebody else. It's about God and your neighbor. That's the ten words. And we are, and then uh, uh, ecclesia, we are from kaleo, the word to call out, to speak, to yell out. We're the people that the Lord has yelled out of the world. So he's yelled you all out of the world. That's, that's who you are. He's yelled, hey, over here. And when you're over here, you can't look like you're over there. Okay, so that's who you are. So the real question is, the only question you should be asking is, what makes me different than the world out there? Or what does the Lord want from us? Okay? And we're called to this koinonia, this community, fellowship, participating, sharing, this deep intimacy of a close relationship that is most deep at the sacrament when you receive eat, drink, the body and blood of Christ. Okay? That's what makes us who we are. Now the question is, um, can we pull this off? And what I'm trying to urge you toward is understanding that if you sort of think of some things, that Christ himself is present here, that Christ embodies God, it's actually God himself who delivers the goods in our midst. And this may be the most difficult thing. This may be more difficult than that, that Christ embodies you. That when you look at the person left, right, front, back, they belong to Christ, and you need to treat him in that way. They're as much Christ as Christ is. And that was the whole Zenos thing last week, two weeks ago, about um, strangers in your midst. The most alien of all aliens is Jesus Christ himself. You find the worst possible person you can find, the most beat up, you know, the lowest of the low. When you find that person, Jesus is in that person. That's what Jesus says about himself. When you did it to them, you did it to me. Okay? So now you ask yourself how harsh words, gossip, you know, a sharp hand, you ask how those things can coexist when the person next to you, when the person you're talking about is really Jesus. Ask yourself how that can coexist, and of course the answer is it can't. So the church has to be fundamentally different than what you thought it was growing up as you watched old people argue and young people bully each other and everybody in it for themselves. The church is fundamentally different than what you thought it was and that the church even exists, only exists because God tolerates us. So we need to move from the question of what God will tolerate before he destroys us. We need to move from that question to what's the most I can do? What's the best I can do? Where are we going? What does this mean? Okay, what does community look like? And then the last thing is, is that then prompts you to do things that you ordinarily would not do. To love people who you wouldn't ordinarily love, to say things you wouldn't normally say, and frankly, sometimes to keep your mouth shut and not say the things that you would say. You know? 
to be generous at times when you wouldn't ordinarily be generous. It prompts you to whole sorts of things. It's really a different kind of life. And if this life looks like that life, it is certain that you've got it wrong. I mean, the litmus test for having it wrong is that this looks like that because this is otherworldly and that's worldly. And never the twain shall meet except in the person of Christ who will come back to redeem the world. Okay? And that was sort of brilliantly done last week when Arthur you know, gave, you the, gave you the scoop on, on, on how it was that Jesus sort of did a chancel drama about that when he would have dinner with people that nobody else would even speak to. He not only spoke to them, he had dinner with them. He was the host. And he blessed them. And when they moved close, they knew that there was something different about him. And yet, it wasn't a thing that would repel them. There was coexistence in Christ of holiness and love. And that's the great mystery, you see. How Jesus can be holy and at the same time, in his holiness, not destroy you. And that, of course, works itself out then in words of mercy and acts of mercy. Words of mercy and works of mercy, which is what we did the first two weeks. So, you know, this is a thinking exercise in real time about what your church should look like. I've been, uh, last thing, and I'm, I'm sort of ashamed to say this, but I'm, I'm, I can't think of another way to do it, so perhaps you could help me. Um, <clears throat> uh, I got, an e- I got an email about how the move, uh, the move to the Bible church is just because I want to have a big church. And uh, I said, kind of made me laugh out loud because I can remember saying to the elders, uh, any moron can have a big church. And having a big church is not that big a deal. I mean, you know, you get a couple of clowns in here juggling flaming swords standing on, swords standing on their heads, and, you know, you got a big church. I mean, anybody, you just have a few big, you get free money out. I mean, you can, it's, not, it's not tough having a big church. A big church has nothing to do with it. Um, but it's almost in some ways that this has become, and I don't know another word to say it, but kind of a boutique church. And that's a horrible way to say it because it sounds snooty. But what I'm trying to say to you is, what I've realized over the past few years is the sort of demands that we make on people. Um, as they come through new members class, and then as we say, you know what your life is really about? It's about Christ and saying your prayers and raising your kids and speaking nice to each other and being kind and being generous and showing yourself in acts of mercy like Christmas sharing and being a prayer pal to confirmation kids and supporting the school and speaking well of people and giving a good witness and being in the divine service every week. What we found is, what's a fascinating thing is, that that is just as it was for Jesus in John 6, where we started this whole madness about three months ago, too much for many people. It's just a fascinating thing. It's just too much. They're going to find a Jesus who's not so difficult. I don't have any particular interest in that Jesus. That's a Jesus who will only tolerate us. So maybe we're going to end up with, uh, you know, the nonsense of you just want a big church. That's just utter nonsense. What I want is a committed church but I want every last person who's committed. You know, and there'll be room for people who want to be God-fearers and stand on the outside and watch, but they won't run the agenda because it's not Jesus' agenda. Jesus' agenda, his only agenda, is discipleship. Take up your cross and follow me. So what this community should look like is a whole bunch of people who are all lined up with their cross, which looks suspiciously like Jesus' cross, and because of that, they match. And that's where we're going. 
And what we need to figure out, and this is the fun part, that, that part is non-negotiable. What's completely negotiable is how best we can do that in this place at this time with this particular group of people. That's, you know, that's the fun bit. So, and that's where we are, you know? And it's real and it's live because, you know, we're about to sign bank papers. We're about to take title. And frankly, we're about to move. And that decision has been made, and here we go. So there's no point talking about that anymore. That decision is made. I do has been set at the altar. Now the question is what the new thing looks like. And for that, we need every last one of you, and we need every last one of you committed to what Christ wants, not what you want and not what I want. Okay, you get it? And that's why this is important, because you're reshaping community in a way that you may not be able to find anyplace else. You may be on your own, but that'll be okay, as long as it's gathered around word and sacrament. Uh, well, you know, half a page I got done. I tell you what, I've got, if you want to take what we're going to do next week, it's here. Um, you can take it with you. I never know if you actually bring that back or not, and then I never know how many more to run, but you can take that. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll move out to 1115. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you next week.